2024 is setting up as a three-ring circus where the clowns are on crystal meth, the elephants have rabies, and the high wire is electrified. <laughs> Mr. Speaker! You're at the intersection of business and politics. This is the 14th and G podcast from Melman Consulting. Now, here's our host, Dean Hinkson. Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I am your host, Dean Hinkson, here for the final edition of 2023 in 23 minutes. The nation's capital has gone quiet, but the anticlimax of this year's end only foreshadows how much is left undone for 2024 on appropriations, foreign aid, FA and farm policy, and so much more. It was punt after punt after punt, making this first session of the 118th Congress one of the least productive of the modern era. So the second session of this Congress is going to have to get it in gear. And we're in gear here. I'm joined once again by my colleagues at the firm, Republican Bruce Melman, Democrat David Thomas. You guys ready to close out 23? And we get an extra minute next year. Oh, let's do it, baby. Yes, let's, uh, let's dive right in. Well, before we get to the Hill stuff, there was a, uh, I'm going to call it a momentous uh, court decision this week from the Colorado Supreme Court, who invoked Section 3 of the 14th Amendment uh, and tossed uh, former President Donald Trump off the presidential ballot. They said uh, he is ineligible to be elected president of the United States uh, by the state of Colorado. Uh, so as it stands now, we assume this goes to the Supreme Court, but as it stands now, he's going he's gonna to be ineligible to be on the ballot, even if he is the Republican nominee. Now, seeing what happened <laughs> to President Trump's poll num- polling within the Republican primary electorate after he was indicted in multiple states. DT, I'm going to start with you. Are Democrats, are Democrats not learning the lesson here that this sort of stuff only makes him, only reinforces his popularity with the Republican primary electorate? Well, I, I, I guess I disagree with the premise of your question because oh. this is the Colorado Supreme Court that that made this decision, not Senator Schumer or Joe Biden or, or Hakeem Jeffries or any, any Democrats here in Washington. I think this is... Uh, literally the kind of case that the Supreme Court was uh, uh, was invented to decide. Like Bush v. Gore. Too soon. <laughs> oh, man. Soon. God, <laughs> can we start over here? Punch my friend in the mouth. I mean, this, you know, for matters of, of uh, this big, with a candidate being thrown uh, off the ballot in one of the states, other states are considering similar plans and probably will come out with different decisions here. Um, the Roberts court is going to have to make an expedited decision, like in a matter of weeks, because ballots will be printed soon uh, to, to decide whether Trump stays on or goes off. Um, and I don't disagree with you at all, because I know Trump was uh, sending out email blasts last night saying thrown off the ballot. So he uh, he is an expert at, you know, taking advantage of uh his Weaponizing grievance. Yes, that's absolutely right. Well, he's got a grievance here. Uh, look, I, you know, you can't. The, the, this whole this whole theme of, that we're getting from Democrats of democracies on the ballot, and we got to save democracy. Look, I take your point, Dave, David. These, these are not uh, these are not decisions of the Democratic National Committee, uh, but prosecutors in New York, prosecutors in Georgia, uh, all I think uh, certainly all for the. Supreme Court, uh, Colorado Supreme Court justices that that put this opinion in place, they're all Democrats. This is the fifth state 
that had its courts decide this. In the case of two blue states, Minnesota and Oregon, they said, well, the president hasn't been charged, tried, or convicted of insurrection, so we can't take a candidate that might win a primary off the ballot and away from the choice of the voters. The two purple states, North Carolina and Michigan, likewise said, it's not up to us, the judges. I worry as well about the slippery slope of, okay, so let's say tomorrow Alabama decides that complete and abject failure to enforce the laws on the border is an insurrection, and therefore they're taking Joe Biden off. We would all say, well, that's outrageous. You can't do that. And they would say, well, if, you know, our, a majority, a partisan majority on our Supreme Court decided it, so you're off the ballot. It's, you know who I'm voting for in the Maryland primary. Uh, it will probably not lead to a different outcome, but, <laughs> but uh, I've, uh, as the Hogan Republican I am, I think it's an insanely dangerous slippery slope is thought number one to take people off. Number two, boy, is the Supreme Court going to be front and center in the elections? Because it's not just that. It's a question of, you know, can you put a gag order on a candidate who is continuing to cause death threats to people who are doing their jobs in courts, but a gag on somebody who's running for president? Can um, you know, can how, how, how much does executive immunity uh, apply? Uh, whatever you think of the Supreme Court, they're not able to get out of it. And it goes to one of the big themes DTU and I talk about when we do a lot of our speaking to audiences. This is a zero trust election where there are no trusted referees. Democrats don't trust Fox. Republicans don't trust mainstream media. Democrats don't trust the Supreme Court by the data. And Republicans don't trust the FBI. We're going to have some really tough calls and some really close elections. If you don't have anybody people trust, that is not a formula for the country coming together. Well, we're not going to get going to get kumbaya up on Capitol Hill, but we are going to have to get some form of cooperation. Uh, as I mentioned in the opening, uh, not only on the foreign supplemental that Congress tried and failed to get done, that had Ukraine, Israel, and and some deal on on border funding and policy, uh, but we still, uh, as we end uh, as we end 2023, we still don't have FY 24 appropriations done. Uh, the FAA uh, authorization was extended, but uh, we, that needs to be authorized. The Farm Bill. I mean, DT. I think you've got a list here of the things Congress has to confront uh, when they get back, and this is. You know, you normally get a little bit of a, you know, second session, you come back, they go do retreats and what's the, there's, there's no time for any of this. <laughs> no, that's, that's uh, absolutely right, uh, Dean. I'm hoping that the members of the House and Senate get to uh, rest up because boy, are they going to be busy when they get back to town here. So, all right, let's run through this. We've got a couple of different venues here. I'm going to uh, run through uh, what has to happen on the Hill first, and then we can talk about some of the other extraneous factors here. So number one, um, Senate will be back on uh, January 8th. Uh, the House come back to the next day on January 9th. Uh, Ten days later, the first CR will expire. As, as everyone can recall, we have a now laddered CR. Four of the um, uh, appropriation bills that fund government uh, expire on the 19th. That's Ag, Energy, Water, Milcon, and THUD. Uh, so uh, that needs to get dealt with immediately. Within 10 days of Congress returning, uh, that needs to be dealt with. The challenge there is there has been no work done on those bills since the last CR was signed because we still don't have agreement on what the top line uh, uh, numbers for the overall funding of government should be. 10 days to turn that around, going to be awful tough. And then let's say they can. Well, then just two weeks later on February 2nd, the second CR expires that has eight uh, appropriation bills in that one. 
So somehow, uh, you know, it's it, we're we're way in overtime here for FY twenty four. Uh, but all that needs to get done in uh, really the uh, less than a month when they get back here. Following up on that, we've got the FAA re- reauthorization that uh, remains stalled in the Senate for uh, most of the year. That's up on March 8th. And then in uh, April, the um, FISA bill needs to be reauthorized. Foreign that, Intelligence Surveillance Act. Thank you. And uh, that is up in April. So all those items have been kicked to the next year. In addition to that, uh, as Bruce pointed out earlier, and, and you did as well, Dean, the, the foreign aid uh, supplemental did not get done this week. So that needs to, uh, you know, if that, that, that doesn't have a deadline to it, Congress could just choose not to fund Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and border security. Those are the things that are in discussion in that bill. But that, uh, the, the, I guess, that would come up early next year as well. There's talk about possibly doing a tax extenders bill, which hasn't been done in a couple of years to extend uh, expired tax provisions. So a lot of things that Congress needs to take uh, take up as soon as they get back. And interspersed in all these <laughs> deadlines, we're 27 days away from the Iowa caucuses. Uh, the New Hampshire primary follows soon after. We could be in a situation, uh, look, Donald Trump wins Iowa, New Hampshire, it's game, set, match. He is the Republican nominee, and he will begin to speak and act as the Republican nominee. Uh, so begin to? <laughs> He's been speaking as the nominee well, for I, a long time. But, he, but, his, but his pronouncements will, have, will carry more weight. No, look, his pronouncements, uh, he could come in last place in all of them. He's going to say the same stuff and expect the same fealty. You know, to Iowa's super interesting. DeSantis has put all his chips in there, even as the super PAC and all the rest of the campaign seems to have crumbled around him. If Nikki Haley can surprise to the upside, then she's got a shot where she is, according to CBS, vaulted into a very strong second place in New Hampshire. Chris Christie says, do whatever it takes to stop Donald Trump, but not if it means dropping out and moving your people to to, uh, Nikki Haley, which if you did it, would make New Hampshire a legitimate question. Right now in both Iowa and New Hampshire, they're playing for second. So I don't think if Trump wins both, the expectation is he will win both Iowa and New Hampshire. If he comes, if Nikki Haley surprises a second place in Iowa and has a strong second place showing in New Hampshire, it all comes down to South Carolina, her home state. That to me would then decide if it's over or if it's not over. As you're saying, meanwhile, Colorado now, before all, of, even before the uh, Senate reconvenes, now the Supreme Court has until January 4th to make a decision about how to play Colorado. The lawyers in us suggest they will stay the uh, activity in Colorado long enough to get well briefed and to think about it. So, you know, that will that will play for time. However, they ultimately conclude uh, the individual states have rights or don't have rights, but. Uh, this this is a three-ring circus on crystal meth uh, while an asteroid <laughs> is hurtling towards Earth. This is, uh, I can't think of a year with more no. uh, risk and, 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 uh, and uh, potential for bad things to happen and for people who are in the C-suite trying to plan it. You got to worry about supply chain. You got to worry about geopolitics. You got to worry about climate. You got to worry about the U.S. fully coming apart. Um, there has never been, I think, a, a year where there's going to be more pressure on people who are doing government relations to try to keep everybody um, well-informed about what's potentially coming, what are the trigger risks, what are the Supreme Court cases that could make half your workforce decide that you need to put out a statement. Um, it's, uh, I think this is going to be one of the hardest years we've all ever had. 
DT, go ahead. No, I just wanted to, to follow up on Bruce here. So this, I, just to clarify for everybody here, this it really will be this three-ring circus here because we've talked about Congress and everything they've got to do in the first quarter. Um, we just ran through what the primary season looks like in the first quarter. Um, that'll be done, you know, I think I think Trump will have it wrapped up before the end of January, but in the event he doesn't, he'll have it wrapped up by March uh, 5th, which is Super Tuesday. Um, the third ring of the circus, which Bruce just touched on with the Colorado case, but it really is the judicial cases going on across the country uh, for Trump. He's got obviously four indictments that, that are all proceeding at the same time uh, in, in Georgia, in New York, in DC. You know, he will be, you know, I, I'd note that the civil fraud trial in New York starts on January 11th, four days before the start of the Iowa caucuses. So will he be campaigning in Iowa or will he be in New York City? Uh, at the same time, the uh, Hunter Biden uh, tax case in California starts the next day. Uh, so the third ring of this, this three ring circus is what will be going on in the judicial branch, not just at the Supreme Court, but all of these cases uh, moving throughout the federal docket. Yeah, and, and deciding whether or not it, we know we know the special counsel in in the in the federal case against Trump wants wants to have this uh, the the federal trials slated to begin March fourth. Super Tuesday is March fifth, and we know the special counsel wants to expedite that and and get that case underway. Hey, Bruce, I just want to get uh, get a take your take on something because we there's probably no single issue that we all spent more time on this year than artificial intelligence. Uh, it, uh, it captured the imagination of a lot of very elderly members of Congress uh, and some not so elderly. Tubes. <laughs> tubes. It's a series of tubes. The Senate especially spent all this time on these insight forums. Uh, we have so many clients um, that are that are participating in this that are really doing remarkable things in artificial intelligence. And the big question is, where does AI go from here on a policy basis? And of course, the landscape is littered with uh, our comprehensive uh, data privacy standard that's never happened. And so many, you know, so many of these things, but I've never really seen Congress sort of sink its teeth into something like it did with AI. What is next? Well, look, they've, to, let's give them credit. They've uh, they've approached it open-mindedly. They've sought all of these insight forums. They've been bipartisan about it. There's been a lot of time and attention. So, to the, on the positive, they clearly recognize this is potentially a a, a game changer. Uh, and I think a lot of members of Congress on both sides feel like they didn't figure out how to mitigate the harmful effects of social media. So we got more negative externalities. Um, and they wonder if maybe we could have had more of the positive and less of the negative if they had been more proactive on social media. But what we knew going in before ChatGPT caused people who weren't paying attention to like, oh my God, there's AI, right. is what we knew is for more than 20 years with digital technology, the uh, China was all about, this is how we're going to use this to uh, increase state control. That's what they're doing with AI. The Europeans said we're going to regulate first, which is why they didn't often get around to innovating second. And the U.S. federal government said we're going to empower people, innovate first, but they don't regulate. So we've never gotten around to a federal privacy regulation. You know, there isn't a software agency that oversees things. And what happens is Europe first and then the U.S. states tend to set the regulatory frameworks that to some degrees constrain American actors. What's happening in AI? EU just passed the giant AI Act. 
It's going to take a year or two to, to fully get implemented, but they're the first movers. And we're seeing a bunch of U.S. states. I believe uh, 15 states enacted 20 different laws in 2023, according to a great piece by Matt Peralt from the University of North Carolina that just came out analyzing the state activity. It's What's happening in AI in that regard, Dean, actually reminds me of uh, the way in which we're in the untied states of America. We just talked about uh, who can be on the ballot, and the states seem to have different opinions about that. AI, privacy, you know, we, more states this year passed laws consistent with the state of Washington. We have 50 different data breach laws in the United States. Abortion is going to a state-by-state -state decision. Energy, you know, in, starting in 2035, you cannot buy a gasoline-powered car uh, if you're in the state of California, I'm betting Texas is not going to have a similar prohibition. But how about immigration? Dean, what's happening on the southern border? I don't know. Ask the governor of Texas. They're each, they're each doing their own immigration policy. I mean, these, you know, border barriers, how they process, it's all, it's, it's, you know, it's all up back and forth with the courts. And some of that is because Washington is, it's a battleship that's hard to turn, especially in a hyper-partisan environment. You mentioned um, productivity. They're going to have passed, tw they passed 24 laws this year. You know, that's fewer than half of any law. I went back uh, because I had nothing to do before Amy came home uh, on, uh, on Sunday. So on Saturday, I spent two hours counting year by year. And I went back to, you know, at least World War II. I couldn't find uh, what happened in the, uh, in the uh, Hoover administration and before. <laughs> uh, but it's, there's never been fewer laws passed. Some of that is yeah. because they're coming off an insanely productive Congress in 2021 and 2022. So it's the reversion to the mean, but it, it invites the states, 40 of whom starting in 2024 will be all Republican run or all Democratic run. And, and that, as we talk with clients and work with folks, one of the big macro themes is the degree to which states feel uh, empowered and unhandcuffed by federal preemption. I, I'm just glad Amy came back from wherever she was. Because uh, can you imagine kind of getting home and your husband says, "I've been reaching congressional productivity <laughs> since the Hoover administration." I saw a lot of uh, I the saw, dog doesn't. I saw a lot of spreadsheet <laughs> projects coming out of the Melman email over the last couple of weeks. You know, on Saturday night. <laughs> Boys, it's the end of the year. You know the drill. I mean, it's uh, it's a time that lends itself to reflection and, of course, predictions for the new year. But let's let's broaden it out a little bit. And it could be a prediction. But what are you most looking forward to in 2024, in addition to getting a, an additional minute here on the podcast? <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to start. Uh, it, it's you know a little more personal than anything else. But you know, I really enjoyed, uh, as of December 1st, celebrating with you guys and our colleagues on this floor and the one below the firm uh, completing its 20th year, 20th anniversary, and uh, next week celebrating with my family, my parents' 60th wedding anniversary, which is pretty epic. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, Amy and I haven't hit 30 and we're doing all we can. That's, uh, you know, it's, if you if, keep researching congressional issues in the Hoover administration, you ain't going to make it to 31. Okay, pal. If I, you get your wife jewelry. I'm getting Amy spreadsheets. If that doesn't make it to 60, what? Nothing will. I, um, I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to. Um, uh, I, and, and I'm, I want to turn overseas here cause I've got, uh, two things that I think are going to happen next year in the city of lights which I'm really excited about. Number one, uh, the Olympics will be in Paris next year. And uh, I was just looking at some of the things that I think they're going to do. Not only is the opening ceremony going to be on the Seine, but they're going to have swimming events in the Seine. They've spent the past few years cleaning up the Seine to, to return to be able to have swimming in the Seine. And they actually had Olympic events 
in the in, in the twenties whenever Paris hosted. Um, so twenty four, nineteen twenty four. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, was the last time they had uh, swimming events in the Seine. I think that is going to be really fun to watch. Plus. Our local hometown girl, Katie Ledecky, is going back to the Olympics, which is going to be awfully fun to see her break some records uh, again. Um, I know you're focused on, on on people who are old, uh, Bruce, with, with President Biden. <laughs> Katie Ledecky is now 26, which in <laughs> swimming years, I think, makes her about Joe Biden's age. Um, she, like uh, Joe Biden, will win a lot uh, in 2024. Uh, second thing that I'm even more excited about in Paris is uh, Notre Dame is going to open up again in December. And uh, what a um, exciting thing uh, for the world, really, like a, 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 an iconic uh, sort of cultural thing, not just in France, but the fact that the, the, that the French and really architects around the world have, will be able to reopen that building, I think, is uh, something f- uh, to inspire us when we're feeling a little bit down. I, so that's I what I'm excited about the next year. have been researching where to move if Trump gets reelected. <laughs> this is a little bit hopeful, but I am most looking forward to Mom and Dad, I love you, but I'm most looking forward to the baby boomer Vietnam generation exiting the stage. I don't think Joe Biden is going to be on the ballot in 2024. I don't think Trump is going to win the Republican presidential primary. And I think we're finally going to get some new blood running this country. What which the hell is in your cup? <laughs> I want to drink some of that. <laughs> A little Irish coffee for Mr. Hinkson here this morning, I think. But I tell you what, if you're right, that's one hell of a prediction there, there, Dean. Well, guys, I look forward to spending more time with you in 2024. It's been a great year uh, here uh, here at the firm and here on the podcast. And uh, God bless everyone out there listening. Bruce Melman, David Thomas, thank you for joining me on 14th and G. God blesses everyone. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the lobbying firm of Melman Consulting. For more, just type 14th and G podcast into your favorite search engine or look for 14th and G wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker.